Hello, this is Mani Ramos, your host of Rise Up, Real Issues and Stories of Every One of Us podcast. First, let me talk about who we are. I'm Manny Ramos, a board member of PNAA, a past president of the Philippine Nurses Association of Central Florida. I'm a professor of nursing at Valencia College in Orlando and an adjunct faculty at William Patterson University. With me today is my co-host, Mindy Ofiana. Mindy? Thank you, Manny. I'm Mindy Ofiana, Legislative Committee Chair for PNAA and Corresponding Secretary for the PNAA Foundation, past president for PNA Southern California, and currently an adjunct professor at Charles R. Drew University, Department of Medicine and Sciences. Manny? Thank you, Mindy. Today, our guest is Ellen Arigogat, a program director in a New York hospital. Ellen is a board member of the Philippine Nurses Association of New York and the chair of the PNAA Nursing Informatics Significant Interest Group. Ellen also serves as a board member of the Kalusugan Coalition, whose mission is to create a unified voice to improve the health of the Filipino-American community. Ellen is here to talk with us about her involvement with this organization's and the All of Us program, a historic effort to collect and study data from over 1 million people living in the United States with the goal of a better health for all of us. Good afternoon, Ellen. Welcome to Rise Up. Thank you, Manny, and thank you, Mindy, for having me today. Good to have you at Rise Up, Ellen. Uh, could, how are you? <laughs> to start with. I'm trying, I'm trying to stay warm. It's kind of cold in um, the, the east here. <laughs> it's like oh, my God. It's, and it's four, like boiling 50. hot I have California. A, <laughs> I actually have a sweater on. I've been oh. wearing oh. a fleece jacket most oh. of the day. <laughs> oh. so, so, anyway. Waiting for summer. Oh. Yeah. Could you share your roots with our viewers and listeners? Where did you grow up and how did that upbringing influence you? Um, sure. Um, so I was born in the Philippines in, uh, I don't know if I want to say tiny town. Um, and it's, it's not a town, it's a city. Uh, it's called Bacolod City uh, oh. or well known as the City of Smiles in the island of Negros. Um, Occidental, which is um, part of the Visayan region. Um, yeah. I have two brothers. Um, we were all born there. And um, when I was seven, I came to America, immigrated, um, and has been a resident in New Jersey and New York area. So my upbringing was very short-lived in the Philippines. But as we all know, in the Philippines, there's such a thing of a family house uh, where you live with uh, mm -hmm. multiple um, family members um, and so you lived with cousins and had never a dull moment um, growing up there um, and uh -huh. then when you came to America where it changes your whole perspective and different types of rules um, you become acculturated so mm -hmm. the first thing I kind of learned was I had to learn English, even though despite the fact that I started learn, started speaking in English, I was like, oh, okay, there's an actual class for ES, uh, English is second language. Right. Um, so what was great about it was um, my mom and her friends were recruited at the same time. So they, were, they came from the same island, um, but came into the same um, hospital. So 
the kids around my age became childhood friends and we mm-hmm. um, became close in that sense because we went to the same school. We learned, we knew the experiences and you create a close-knit family in, uh-huh. away from home. So mm-hmm. to this day, um, we, we're still friends. We all became, at least one family member is a nurse uh, per se in, in the household that we grew up in with our friends. And so um i lived um in new jersey central new jersey uh-huh. um which is predominantly the town that i grew up in was um hispanics uh mm-hmm. dominican uh dominicans and puerto ricans so yeah. when you hear spanish and then you're like oh i have to learn english and then oh no you have to also learn spanish i'm like oh, i'm very confused now um <laughs> but you know you you go with the flow um i think that mm-hmm. is one of the biggest things um that I learned growing up is learning to adapt to your environment, whether you're changing schools, um, locations, because when I was in fifth grade, um, we moved to the now where we live in Saraville. So that was predominantly um, Polish neighborhoods and, mm-hmm. and such. So it's like you had to ride a school bus. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> what do you mean? What's a school bus? Um, so that's a whole different perspective. Um, and that's that's really kind of the upbringing my my you know my my two brothers and it's really like really when growing up my parents said you're all we're the five of us is who we have because there's really no one else that has our last name um growing up if you you know you google search my last name it's very far and few in between especially in america so Uh if something happens you're really your immediate family is Mm -hmm. who you have um uh uh, left so really that kind of was instilled that like you know your your family is what you got until um you figure out what you want to do in life um Uh so childhood was that um high school was pretty much um a little bit of a hard hard time because um when i was 16 my dad was diagnosed with hodgkin's um lymphoma um we didn't know about it until he came my mom you know worked nights three to eleven so um he was there with us during the day and the nights and my mom would work so one time like my mom's like why are you like having night sweats and he's like oh i'm just i've been having it and he's had weight loss but the reason why he had weight we attributed the weight loss to because he had high cholesterol and high blood pressure so he went into this like strict diet Diet. and lost Mm -hmm. several pounds until the whole night sweats and fevers came about and my mom goes there's something else wrong so they did all the testing that they did and didn't couldn't find anything until the day before he was to be discharged um uh, as you know mm-hmm. filipinos are really strong in faith and my mom kind of like did a little prayer that like said like hey, you know mm-hmm. help us kind of figure out what's going on with my husband yeah. and so luckily my not, i don't know if it's luckily but a lymph node popped up and so they're like oh there it is um so he had a biopsy that day the doctor came out of um, surgery and said it's suspected lymphoma but we just need to confirm it and it was confirmed um later on so he 16 years old dad went through chemo radiation um so for the next two year and a half that was our lives making sure my dad was on 
healthy precautions because you know you when you have right. cancer you're on low blood white count so he was very mm -hmm. prone to sickness um really didn't know anything about medical things but i know like my mom's a nurse and that's mm -hmm. that type of living um and then he was in remission for a good year and a half and then when i turned 18 he was diagnosed with what we call CML, which is chronic myelonis leukemia, mm -hmm. secondary from from Hodgkin's. the Luke Hodgkins. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why is because his blood cells, the doctor just said, oh, your, your, your blood cells are not the right way. So that was 18. <laughs> um, and you were like, you know, you know, when you, we didn't have Google back then in a sense. Right. So you figure out like, who do you talk to? So you look at um, really kind of like just very quickly do the internet searches. And during that time, um, the mortality rate was high, but luckily um, they had this um, wonder drug that we call it the wonder drug is Gleevec. And so he was started on that trial. Um, he, uh -huh. The doctor put him on it and he responded very well. Um, but you see how healthcare, um, despite the fact that you have healthcare workers working in healthcare, the healthcare itself was hard in a sense that medications not fully covered you had to still pay out of pocket three thousand dollars um for for a med, like a drug to keep to keep someone alive and to navigate the healthcare system and insurances was something to watch my mother go through so alan how was your dad after the cml diagnosis so he was fine um the only thing that uh you know you have to keep a certain regiment where he had to get um, bone marrow um, biopsies every three months to six months and then continue making sure that he re um, was not act like reversing with the medications. Uh -huh. And then um, we were hit with another health issue with my father where he ended up having a, a, a heart attack. Um, oh. My mom woke me up uh, and she goes, we need to go to the hospital now. I'm like, why don't you just call 911? And uh -huh. she's like, no, no, no. It's faster for us to go drive him uh, to the hospital. And the only thing was he kept saying, he was sitting on the side of the bed was, it feels full in my chest. Oh. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? Um, and so I drove my um, mom and my dad um, to the hospital, dropped him off in the emergency room. I kind of knocked on my younger brother's door and said, hey, I'm going to go to the emergency room. I have to drive the parents. There's something uh -huh. going on with um, Pops. And um, so we got to the emergency room to the same hospital that my mom works in. So we kind of got fast-tracked. And so mm -hmm. um, I was there for, with my mom for the first 10 minutes. And then there, mm -hmm. and the ED nurse goes, um, excuse us, we have to examine him um, because they have to make sure they have to do a rectal examination on him um, to stop, see any signs of bleeding. Because I, uh -huh. at that time, I'm you know wasn't a nurse, wasn't in uh, nursing school, yeah. and so the first thing that they had to make sure is that is he qualified to take anti uh -huh. uh, platelets medications. Uh -huh. So my mom called her her own cardiologist to say, hey, my husband's in the emergency room. 
he ha- he's probably having um, a heart attack. And so the cardiologist called um, the nearest um, place that had um, PCI, which was Robert Wood. And my, and within a couple of, within an hour, my dad was transferred um, to the nearest uh university hospital for PCI and he ended up having um two stents placed uh-huh. in uh in Robert Wood and that was my first introduction of a major hospital I'm like uh-huh. ooh because <laughs> you know you, the hospital that my mom worked in was a community hospital so uh-huh. it's the the top floor the fifth floor you know and, and yeah. when you go to these university hospitals it's it's 10 floors and then you go to like which ICU do you go to I'm like what do you mean what ICU um so I would have to drive my mom um when I went to school in college um at that time I would have to drive my mom uh drop her off at Robert Wood go to school Uh pick up my mom and vice versa and sometimes I would have to take my brother to basketball um practice because you know you had to keep living the life of you just can't you couldn't stop just because you know something emergency so you took certain roles of where can you help and pitch in so luckily I had my driver's license during that time so yeah I was the show the driver for 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 the most part while going to school so luckily now my father is maintained on Gleevec and you know he was on Plavix for a long time and aspirin um, and now I think he's just on uh, aspirin because we know that the Plavix doesn't hold much weight after a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. So, but that was something new back back when you know PCI. Like, what is that? <laughs> um, so it's wow. it's big, especially in in their friends circle where like a lot of people my father's age you know um diagnosed with cancer and did not survive cancer um i alone lost two family members my mom's sister and then my father's sister died of cancer as well so i have the underlying probably genetic um, predisposition Mm -hmm. of cancer but i think that's something also that you know i i always have the back of my mind do i have that predisposition because my father side the two the you know the two siblings have Mm -hmm. it they have cancer um so it's kind of something right so you are still going to nursing school and all of these things were happening right no i was actually um in school Uh For um, I was undecided for nurse, uh, undecided undergrad at Rutgers University, uh-huh. and um, unfortunately, um, I did have when it came time to say, "Hey, you have to do the paperwork to, to declare a major." I kind uh-huh. of froze. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I was in high, I was I'm grateful for my parents because they didn't um, force nursing on me. You know, uh-huh. um, I they did give me that. Here you go. Here's the nursing application. And I uh-huh. put it away, um, yeah. but when it came down to put putting in a major um, for nursing for uh-huh. 
for my undergrad, I was like, I, I couldn't do it. And I had to drop out of school. <laughs> and I said, uh, FYI. So, so, so it was so funny because I'm like, I'm breaking the news that I'm dropping out of school. And, you know, in, in our culture, it's like a lot of like, you want to succeed um, uh-huh. in a sense. So I'm like, I'm dropping out of, of um, college. Mm-hmm. and like a two years of co- two and a half a year and a half of college and then they're like bye uh-huh. <laughs> but i'm gonna go for nursing they're like thank you <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like thank you i'm like oh, okay i was like you know because i felt like oh my god i'm dropping out of school i took out student loans and now i'm going to nursing school they're like no thank you they're like, thank you for, <laughs> for making that decision. Um, they were grateful decision. that I went to nursing. Um, yeah. I thought I was going to be like the bad child of not going to nursing <laughs> college in a sense. But yeah, but wow. when I went to nursing school, um, it was a different story with nursing school because um, I went to a diploma program. The diploma program was through my mother's um, hospital during that time. Mm-hmm. Now... If you talk to, to to nurses now, they're like, "Oh, I started off as a diploma." And they're like, "What is that?" <laughs> um, I said, "You learn as a nur- you learn nursing, like taking care of patients from day one." Um, so I went to diploma program through my mom's school um, work, Boy. and so all my teachers knew my mom. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot added pressure to it. They're like. Uh-huh. we know your mother's a telemetry nurse you better pass the cardiac class I'm like <laughs> oh my god like that was I'm like I was like when I handed in my paper I'm like hopefully I got nothing wrong but if I do I'm fine but there was you know pressure in that sense because yeah. they know how your mother works and how your mother is a nurse um mm. but you also have to kind of come on come into your own um, right. person as a nurse and that's um that's how also I learned about informatics mm-hmm. um in nursing school you know they're like, they're like oh who wants to take an you know you, you do an elective everybody goes yeah. I want maternity I want to do ICU I was like and then I see this like little blurb informatics I'm like what is informatics <laughs> what is informatics um, I'm like, I'm looking at my longevity here and I'm like, what is informatics? So I kind of Googled very quickly what uh-huh. informatics was and it, it just says computers, nursing, and that's it. Right. And so, uh-huh. um, I was like, okay, during that time, Yahoo health was being, was big. Google health was big. We were starting to talk about EMRs and mm-hmm and rollouts and things like that. It's like, oh, let me just go. And so I, that was my first precursor to nursing informatics. And um, I think she, she, I didn't know at that time, but I think she is not, uh, a PNA member, PNA mm-hmm. member. Um, and also uh, Ati Rose Estrada. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, she worked in the same hospital as my mother. She was actually, she's actually the recruiter of my mother, full oh, come wow. circle. <laughs> um, She's like, no, because my mom goes, you want to get out of bedside when you finish nursing. <laughs> like, you can't survive this life. So that's why I'm like, oh, informatics is, is, is big. I'm like, you just, you know, you do all these things outside of taking care of breaking your back. So 
my introduction was Excel, <laughs> Excel <laughs> files. I'm like, Excel. what is Excel? I'm like, I don't even do Word documentations. Um, <laughs> and the first thing that the um, my preceptor during the time goes, I need for you to input 26 nurses in this Excel file, alphabetize it, and then mm -hmm. their codes and whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know what I'm doing, but sure, I don't know. What, so I like, you know, you kind of figure out how do you do Excel? Like, you know, there was no YouTube back then. So yeah. you, 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 um, trial and error and that's yeah. how it became. So I graduated nursing and I, my first job, um, luckily I got a scholarship at the end of my senior year where you get employed at the hospital that you that mm -hmm. the nursing school was um, my first job there was a there was kind of a caveat to it my mom in order for me to take a position in the floor my mom had to leave the floor um, oh. and I actually took her position so this is like how uh, the universe it, it seems like it, it works for in in, mm -hmm. in my world my mom had to become a nurse manager for the stroke wow. unit. I took her position for her day. I was like, I, was like, I don't want to do nights. I want to do days. <laughs> I was like, I'm surprised. I so I took day shift um, as a telemetry nurse wow. with her old, with her old coworkers. So they yeah. like, my mom's like, my daughter's coming. Everybody, like the, my, <laughs> my nurse manager knew me since I was seven. So... <laughs> really the first question goes so what shift do you really want i'm like uh -huh. i want day shift because i want to i want to have a normal sleeping habit uh -huh. um and so i i went through that whole gamut of working in the same hospital as my parents uh -huh. my mom and my dad um and so it's so funny because the doctors would be like so how's your mom I'm like oh she's right there <laughs> you can ask her <laughs> or you know they jokingly goes you know we can just talk tell your mom like you're not like doing the best I'm like well that's okay she's right there you could go across the hallway <laughs> and tell her what you feel like you you want to like vent off <laughs> about me but I'm pretty sure you just want to make sure um I keep my toes up and so you know that was also my first encounter of um passive aggressive in a sense uh -huh. um in, in a sense where somebody said you're filipinoism i was like what <laughs> i'm like what the heck's filipinoism mean <laughs> um because i we had a nursing student and it was time to give medications and the nursing student put as a documentation get medication not given meds in pharmacy and i'm like what is that? Like, why would you document that in, in the EMR? You should just said something to the, to me as the primary nurse, because I could still give it you. Now I have to document against your documentation. Mm -hmm. So I approached um, the student. I'm like, Oh, can you just please give me the reason why you gave this? Like, oh, my, my teacher told me to. I'm like okay so I approached the teacher and the teacher knew that my parents worked in the same hospital he goes well I don't know if it's your Filipinoism or that the fact that your parents work here and I said oh. what does this mean so I said uh I said if you mean by Filipinoism my hard work and understanding that I need to do what I need to do to keep my patients safe uh -huh. um but 
yeah, I, I was like, no, you can't put my my ethnicity, my culture against me um, for pra safe practice. Uh, uh -huh. And luckily, you know, I was advocating enough for myself to tell my manager, I'm like, hey, this is what I, this would just occurred. And she's like, no, 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 that's, that's inappropriate. And so that was, that was kind of a pivoting moment. I'm like, mm -hmm. you have a voice, you can stand up for yourself, no matter where yeah. you are. And, you know, especially re like with COVID with xenophobia, uh -huh. the trauma that you've experienced as as an Asian woman, as an Asian nurse, kind of like bubbled up in the surface. And you're like, I had to defend myself most of my time in my colleagues because they think that, you know, which is great and all, like, you know, they know that the nurses in the Philippines work hard, they work diligently. Right. But each one of us stand on our own. It's not because we're Filipinos, we are our own um, beings with our mm -hmm. own purpose. We like, you just can't say, my Filipinoism that so that was the first part yeah well Ellen um being a parent of nurses who works the same place that you are I feel the pressure right but what what did you feel during that period of time you're a new nurse uh, trying to you know trying to be a, a a great nurse at the bedside but this pressure of being a daughter of someone who works there other than the pressure of you know what else were you feeling as a as as a nurse at that time? Um, luckily, I had a lot of support from my mom's colleagues. It was very supportive um, because they treated me individually, like like they they knew my mom, but mm -hmm. they treated me as like you're on your own. You're 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 mm -hmm. the nurse that has to stand on your two feet. Um, and so they they knew in a sense that like, hey, back up is mom, but at the end of the day, you still have to stand on the work that you do for your patients. Yeah. So there was, a, you know, there's the Filipino training that my mom has that from nursing school. And then there's the American training, which is different, right? So um, it's still at the end of the day, it's the caring of the person in front of mm -hmm. you, how you develop relationships with the family, how do you develop patients relationships with the patient, how do you develop relationships with um, your colleagues. Uh, and so, you know, as much as they were my aunts, my titas, my titos, um, my lolas, <laughs> so they're still my colleague at the end of the day. And so you kind of have to put that in a back burner. And then once you clock, when you get off the clock, it's like, okay, now it's, it's back to that type of relationship. But when I went to work, it was more of, okay, I need to get, this is my nursing hat. I cannot uh -huh. um, put the pressure of what people think of me um, onto myself, let them think of what they think of me, but I need to advocate for uh -huh. who I am, what I do, and for my patients. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. So a while ago, you mentioned that you and Dr. Rose Estrada had a conversation about nursing informatics. You're involved mm -hmm. in PNAA Nursing Informatics Significant Interest Group. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? So it's so funny um, because 
Dr. Estrada was my mom's recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, you know, uh, Dr. Garcia Dia, we know that she she's a uh, uh, nursing. She has the background of nurse informaticist. Mm-hmm. She's actually my colleague um, at work. Um, the biggest thing is everybody wants to become an informaticist in a sense because the, there's a shift now. There's technology mm-hmm. shift. There's a digital age that right. you know we're going beyond the electronic medical health records and people go, Oh, so what do I do? Um, and so the, the significant interest group kind of came up about from me working with, uh, I call her MJ, uh, with MJ. <laughs> um, I don't call her Dr. Dia. It's kind of weird. Um, MJ, um, <laughs> where she's like, well, you know, the interest is there, but how can we um, get this interest in a Filipino nursing association. So this is where we came up with the brainchild of let's go under the significant interest group to see if anybody is interested in learning informatics, what's out there, learn from who is working as the role of informaticist. Because um, when you say nurse informaticist, it's such a great area. Um, we cover not just only the EMR, uh, electronic medical health records, but we also work look at um, the vendor side, such as like the Hillroms, the Baxters, you know, the medications, AstraZeneca. So we're not just doing the whole here. Let's let's make let's create flow sheets. Uh, let's. It's more of like, hey, how do, can we educate nurses how to use technology? what workflows or what how does the process of point a to point b work in a nursing um, and how does technology help it uh, so people don't understand that this is not just creating documents um, it's looking at data it's looking at uh, pay, giving medications to safely it's talking wow. it's doing um cybersecurity. So that's, that's something uh, big. And the way Dr. Estrada came about was she was the nursing supervisor during that point. She was, I think the head, she was the director of nursing informatics at what was not before um, one of the college, the colleges in New York, in New Jersey that went under Rutgers. And she goes, you know, I'm the director of nursing informatics. Maybe you should try it out as a certificate um so that i've always had that back in my mind she goes you want to that and again it goes back to you want to save your back um uh-huh. you you you, you want to make sure you're healthy in the long run because we know that bedside nursing is physically not just emotionally and spiritually heavy but it's physically demanding you know turning patients lifting patients bending um, so the, the ergonomic factor is like, where do you want to save yourself? And so she's like, oh, just, just, just see where it was. And my first um, role as a nurse informaticist, besides my um, precept of my elective was teaching. Um, mm-hmm. I actually teach, um, I actually taught, uh, they're like, my, my, my manager goes, Ellen, um, 
nursing education is assistance in training nurses on how to barcode scan. I said, mm-hmm. what do I have to do? Because I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, oh, they need to, they just need to teach, they just need to teach nurses how to scan. And you just have to assist the nursing educator. And I said, oh, okay, sure, why not? And so I just read the PowerPoint slides and said, um, you know, watched it happen and then jumped in where the nurse was struggling trying to figure out like, how do I scan? Where, where do I scan? How do I know where, what, if I scan the right way? So that was my first um, introduction as a nurse in informatics, in, in yeah. the informatics world. And then when technology kind of came about, I was sent to like, hey, evaluate this um, device, you know, Mm -hmm. even just looking at the blood pressure machine and how it's wheeled down up and down the hallway. I was like, no, no, no. What kind of wheels are these? This is going to get stuck. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, it needs to move in 360, not just this one back and forth because, you know, Uh nurses have to go in multiple directions and if it's heavy it's not gonna move and they're like oh that's a good idea so that's where like the whole idea is and that's you know it's a creative aspect of of Mm -hmm. where you can use your expertise in in the clinical setting so i see ellen uh you me and manny understands what nursing informatics is but for the purpose (laughs) of some of our listeners who are not nurses and you know there are a lot of them there Tell us about it. What is nursing informatics? The the official definition is basically uh, the art of nursing, computer science, and information science Mm -hmm. um, in the collaborative, in its intertwined network where the nurse looks at how computer systems work and how information, meaning data, my blood pressure, my heart rate, gets into a, uh, a, a system or a program and how it um, digests it and pushes out to the end users um, to, to see. So that's kind of in a nutshell what informaticist is. But for me, nursing informaticist is um, looking at technology and the use of technology in, um, in the clinical setting. Mm-hmm. Um, Clinical setting means hospitals, homes, offices, um, because now we have hospitals at homes, we have telehealth, um, and how data is exchanged. Data meaning health information, my my health history, my my measurements uh, Mm -hmm. is being exchanged to make sure that the, the clinicians and the patient um, have a relationship to make sure your well-being is a top priority. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a, just a follow-up question about it. I was an associate CNO when, when Epic got started in the hospital that I used to work for. So I understand oh, yeah. all this uh, multi-generational nurses that some people are very advanced on technology and some are not. So what challenges other than the multi-generational, where some don't even know where to turn on the power uh, with regards <laughs> to technology. How did yeah. you, what were the opportunities that you saw, saw when you were doing these changes at the bedside? 
you're right about the generational gap and that's where <laughs> that's where we have the adoption model you always find the very excited person <laughs> and you say hey you feed them the right things to say and hopefully people gravitate towards that but um from my experience i don't um gravitate towards the early adopters of technology i try to um gravitate towards the laggards because they're gonna be the ones who bring down the, the, the whole thing because they're gonna get frustrated they're uh -huh. gonna be like i give up and then not gonna use the technology that you know they're gonna create work they're the ones who are gonna create workarounds and so <laughs> there's the opportunity it's like how do you make um training fun um uh, for for nurses you can't put nurses in an eight hour i can't even put it for my i can't even do it for <laughs> myself why would you do it to others um you have to make learning fun yeah. and also where they can digest it very um easily so if i have to take time to create a video that's specific for the patient the patient the, the 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 nurse that's gonna take time and you know take time to pause and repeat again then you that's that's one opportunity the biggest opportunity is that you can go anywhere with it i've been in hackathons i've um presented um ideas and in development it's not just here here's an app you know we sometimes have a joke. You can build an app for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's like you know we're app overloaded because right, at the right. end of the day, it might not be an app. It might be a device. Mm -hmm. So like one of the biggest things that I I learned in my master's degree, um, I was part of uh, an uh, uh, kind of called it kind of a hackathon, I guess, uh, was to <laughs> address elderly falls. And so my team and I um, came up with a design for what we call an urban walker. Uh, we looked at the design of a walker at that point, you know, evaluated what devices, what equipments are out there to help with the elderly at night. So we kind of like device, okay, let's make sure that, you know, we see that in the nurse, in the hospitals, when the walker comes and the PT comes, they lay on the side of the wall and it's like kind of like kind of like sl slanted and we're mm -hmm. like well patients are not going to have that opportunity to rest their their um their walkers against yeah. the wall it's going to be open yeah. um and then also being able to like easily fold it you know there's 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 the grips and things so we were like with pvc piping and um glow in the dark paint we were <laughs> We created this like full like this like accordion um walker and presented it to medline uh, and i was like oh this is the first time we had to do a pitch this is what a pitch looks like and the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway that i saw when in this um thing was we were the only ones that had two nurses in the team mm. The other schools had no nurses, no one in the wow. medical field working wow. in the group. Wow. So I'm like, it's all good and fun, but yeah. when you really want to talk about healthcare technology, you need someone 
that takes care of patients, that's front facing mm-hmm. to patients to give you the overview and the pains that they see and experience. And so that was, that's why I think we're, we're besides the power button, um, you know, you know, when we do help desk, what's the first thing you do? Like, did you turn it on? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets frustrating. I'm like, I did turn it on. I, I'm like, I would not call you. Um, I usually, my rule is if I try to do three times and it's still not working out, that's when, that's when I, I will contact help desk. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think nurses still think that you're the, you're the, the geek squad where you're like, hey, how do I turn on my phone? How do I update this, you know? this 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 process i can't log in i'm like well i don't know your password how do you know your password when was the last time you you turned on your um your last time you used your you logged in so that was one of the biggest things um the biggest wins that we can do as nurse informaticists or any part of technology is have our presence not in just um hey let's just survey the nurses no you need to be part of the board you need to be part of the steering committee in any of the systems because at the end of the day you're you're the one who knows how the impact of technology is you know people are rolling out patient portals um and devices left and right but the the biggest thing is like well then how how did the nurse teach that patient i don't know then, then we we have we still have work to, uh, work to do, but I think we're getting there. Um, where nurses are saying we need this, we we will put our 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 presence known in where we need to be, and you know hospitals are are seeing that the importance of nurse informaticists in connecting um, the bridge between IT clinical nurses and um, the patients. Yeah. So, um, Alan, you have been very, very busy. <laughs> I see that you're also involved with Kalusugan Coalition. So tell us a little bit about your work at Kalusugan Coalition. So I started off um, with Kalusugan Coalition about five years now um, as just a, let's, you know, it's Kalusugan Coalition is a nonprofit organization that's based out of the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. That's the areas that they that they serve. Um, founded 10, 10 years ago, um, mm-hmm. multidisciplinary. And so the work I was started on was um, the Healthy Heart Initiative. We know that cardiovascular health, diabetes, um, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes are kind of the three main morbidities mortality in Filipino communities so that's they they were in this grant for um, healthy hearts and they partnered up with local Filipino restaurants in Queens mm-hmm. and created um, low sodium low low salt low fat um, uh-huh. Filipino uh, dishes and yeah. so they did research on that and see, and it was actually part of the NIH um, grant mm-hmm. uh, where they also created um, culturally linguistic uh, materials to say, uh-huh. hey, if you want to look at food, look at the, the food plate in Tagalog. I don't speak Tagalog, but I kind of understand it. So I, it's, 
quite, you know, my friends make fun of me. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, there's the English accent in the Tagalog <laughs> or Ilongo. Um, but it's okay. I understand it. I just smile because people don't think that I, I don't understand it. <laughs> um, but this is, that, that was the first initiative that I worked on as, um, as a board member. And then I became a treasurer um, for Kalasugan for now four years. Um, and so we, I represented them during health fairs, during uh, blood pressure screening. Um, and then the biggest one that I was involved in was um, the All of Us. Mm-hmm. The All of Us project um, or the program. Um, I didn't know about it uh, until uh-huh. um, they're like, meet me at Harlem Hospital. I'm like, what What are you talking about? There's a <laughs> fair at the Harlem Hospital. It's about all of us program. I said, oh, okay. You know, you just show up when you're told to go to. Yeah. And I happened to live in New York at that time. And so I said, okay, fine. Let me just show up to Harlem. Um, it's only a, a hill down and it's right there. So <laughs> I sh- they're like, I showed up and then there's tents and then there's music and I'm like well you know so you, you kind of like learn about more about it and the first it was the launch of all of us in New York City mm-hmm. and you know they're like you know you ha- we had a tent tent taking blood pressure um, screening giving out um, educational guides and how to healthy heart initiative because you know that you know it's one of those things that just make sure you help you you educate the community of what initiative you're working on and also making sure that hey you want to get your blood pressure checked here and make sure you follow up with the doctors um so lo and behold you know you take your pictures like one in a million and you learn more about it and dr francis collin was actually in person um during the launch um but the backstory about getting involved for that day during the launch was in Harlem is because of the fact of the trust, the, the trust in research, the trust in mm-hmm. science, um, because we all know it's, and it's well documented about the Tuskegee um, right. study, mm-hmm. as well as the Henrietta Lacks um, cells. So that's why they chose Harlem is to get the African-American black communities involved. And they did it in um, Abinsian um, church, which is one of the oldest churches in Harlem. Mm -hmm. Um, And the pastor, like, that's how they like, just to see how the community (coughs) relationship is very key in Uh how you get this participation. It's all good to have the the fanfare, but you have to break down the barriers that Mm -hmm. is create that was created from the mistrust in science. So it was just kind of like you know the the, you know MJ's like you know who he is. I'm like yes, a very tall white man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Doctor Collins is a very tall white man, and like you know five like you know we're five feet and then here's a six foot man i'm like so why did you come up so the first i said you know i'm like very interested it's a it's good that you're doing this initiative but why did you so the 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 one question i asked him is what made you think to do this initiative Mm -hmm. um 
because I think one million is asking a lot. <laughs> and so he's like, well, it's been, um, it's been kind of an ongoing goal of mine is to make, to have this data rich uh, program where the, the patients be identified and we just want to know what we have that we can research on to make sure we live longer, we live a healthier life. I said, yeah. oh, like, then that kind of like understood, like, okay, yeah. I understand from a, a healthcare uh, perspective. And I also understand from a daughter whose parents mm-hmm. have high blood pressure, mm-hmm. high, you know, primary blood, your, your siblings, you know, you're one of your siblings is a primary hypertensive. And then once a borderline, even though you live an active, healthy life, right. your your genetics make yeah. make, keeps you predisposed. So I was like, oh, that's that's very interesting. And I'm like, so we were the only Filipino organization um, during the launch, um, despite the fact that there was no Filipinos or like very lack of during that time. Um, the work started to come around um, during that summer. Um, and so I was heavily involved in promoting mm-hmm. just to know, to say, hey, we, there's, there's this program that's led by yeah. NIH. Um, and so one of the work that, um, the second work was uh, recruiting uh, different uh, Asian communities to come mm-hmm. um, to NYU to have breakfast and also um, organized this breakfast education series by mm-hmm. uh, the NIH. Somebody came in to just talk about what it means, what all of us means, why is yeah. it important, and answer all those questions. And the biggest question that they usually have is my insurance. Um, mm-hmm. What are the implications if I'm not insured? Um, what are the implications if something was found out about me that will I lose insurance? Um, what about my name? Will it be kept secret? And so these were the common themes. And so when people ask you these questions, like, how would I like know? So that's I'm like, you know what? Let me just let me just sign up because I'm like, why? Like. First of all, <laughs> I am promoting. <laughs> so you signed up. You signed, I signed up for all of us. Oh, okay. Well, I signed up for all of us. I, I, was like, I was like, I'm promoting. I'm sitting there be, being an advocate and like telling them like, hey, this is what we're doing as an organization. And then uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, I'm not signed up. <laughs> so, so I said, let me just see. I'm like, and let me see what really as the the, an about. experience program uh-huh. is about. Um, so what's the difference Google? between, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what's the difference mm-hmm. between um, Kalusugan and All of Us program? So All of Us program is through the National Institutes of Health. So this is a national incentive. Uh, incentive. And we had a grant um, where Kalusugan Coalition, um, because of the work that we do in the community and the partnership that we have with faith-based organizations from previous um, studies uh, and research, we were able to kind of generate that that um, relationship and say, if there was a representative from the NIH that was um, that wanted to speak about uh, the All of Us program, we can say to our one of our faith based organizations, "Hey, 
we have an NIH representative, they just want to talk to you about 30 minutes about the All of Us program, what it means, what it does, and how you can get involved. Um, so we were just a partnership to link mm-hmm. that program to the community. And so that was big because, yeah. you know, people didn't know how to to reach the Asian communities. You saw yes. in the beginning yeah. of, the, of the program, you had a lot of white population, a little bit of the Black population, a little bit of the Hispanics. And one of the biggest things that we saw was, well, you're your advertising wasn't directed to Asians. You have, you know, if you want to talk Asian communities, you you have to gear gear the the pictures, the the videos towards them. And so yeah. that was one of the biggest things. You know, a lot of feedback was, well, it's only in English and Spanish. What about our languages? Um, and so whatever feedback we had from Kalasugan based on um, the programs that we were hosting uh, on behalf of the grant. Uh, we had a little consortium in New York and we gave them a feedback and say, hey, um, our, our, our population wants a non-English uh-huh. pamphlet, a non-English brochure. And, you know, the, the, the whole conversation will, it takes time to get approval for the medical English, the medical languages to be approved. And because it's, it's um, the National Institutes of Health, we could bring it back. So whatever we said in that consortium was brought back to the bigger um, program. Did it work? Um, they did have now... Um, Asian um, Asian people on the pictures, but I feel like it's still like still not enough. It didn't hit home for me. Like uh-huh. when I looked at, it, I'm like, no, like <laughs> I don't like. It didn't hit in a sense where Filipinos are very family oriented, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, well, I I understand this this Asian man with a chef like the apron and like smiling and with food. And then there was one with like an Asian lady in like a power suit. And I'm like, that's all great and fun. But I think you kind of missed the mark in that sense where this is a family. This, you know, what is it in for me? Like you only show one person at a time. It doesn't hit home in in that sense for me. So when Asians and other minorities uh, would ask you when you're all campaigning for this All of Us program and ask you, uh, why is it important to participate in this All of Us program? uh, How would you answer that question? So so I had like two things. The first one was, Uh oh, do you know about precision medicine? They're like, what is precision medicine? I said, I see you're wearing glasses there. And so, you know, the, that was one of the the, the, the um, elevator speeches. Like, I see your, your glasses there. That's precision medicine because not everybody has the same grade as you. Uh-huh. And then, you know, for the younger generation, they're like, so what's in it for me? I said, do you take care of your mom? Do you take care of your father? Do you take care of your grandfather? Do you take care of your grandmother? And then they're like, yes. I said, so do they have blood, high blood pressure? Um, and then do they have, um, diabetes? Do they have mm-hmm. cholesterol? I said, like, yeah. I said, okay. Um, 
now imagine you taking care of them in five years where where research and the medicine that they're taking is not prescribed to them in a sense that it's genetically helping them um, because it's tested on on non-Filipino, non-Asian communities. And they're like, oh, I said, because Filipinos, I said, my family has predisposed high blood pressure. You might also have it. So how do you help our future? Because you and I will be in that boat later on. So now is the time for us to understand how can we stay healthy and be more proactive in our health. And so that's that's kind of the things that I kind of talk to them about. Um, and I said, I also kind of did it for my sense because I suffer from migraines. I, you know, I want to make sure. And then afterwards, in hindsight, you know, people do 23andMe, the Ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. You're basically giving your DNA for $100. You're paying $100 to give your <laughs> DNA um, to a data repository. So I'm like, you're really doing, you're paying someone instead of you getting something back in return for free, which is the time and effort of filling out some forms. Yes, it, it is lengthy to do to go through the education of, hey, this is the All of Us research. But I do appreciate that one, they had the video of what is the All of Us research when you are go want to enroll because you could stop. It has closed caption for those who can't, you know, listen, you can't hear very well. We just want to read the closed caption. And it tells you what your rights are as a person. You can opt out at any mo at any time. Um, and so I did have a lot of hesitations as an enrollee in the beginning. Um, I submitted my 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 blood samples, um, and then when it comes to goes, do you, then there was a, the whole thing of do you want to give access to your EMR record? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself. Now they really need to know all about me. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, not just my DNA, but really all about me. Um, and I opted out. I really opted out. And I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me just think this through. Um, so I I opted out and then re-opted back in to release my medical records to the hospital that they 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 deemed to to hold the medical records but de-identified because you know health history taking in mm-hmm. in our sense is like very very bad in the Filipinos because I feel like one in the Philippines there's really not a good bookkeeping you know mm-hmm. you hear people go oh my birthday is really not the right birthday that I have <laughs> or you don't even have like you don't even have the right ancestry line um you know, so I said, okay, fine. Let me just opt back in. And now, yeah. you know, you get you get emails about. Um, it did take some time from when I enrolled to what I do now. Like I get emails that say, hey, there's an update. You, you want to see your results? Um, and so you get that reward that you know the 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 commercial ancestry DNA testing does. Um, and but you're giving it back to research but what I also noticed 
now is that I actually did 23andMe just to see how, what my ancestry line was because the all of us was a little like behind, but my brother got his. Um, was that uh, a Filipino? Um, so then I'm like, oh, um, 100% Filipino. I'm like, oh, I'm disappointed. I'm like, I don't want to be told I'm 100% Filipino. Maybe like just there's an inkling of something else in there. Um, but, um, you know, last year, I think we were doing one of the top, one of the presentations for all of us. I, th I think one of the, um, the agents came to talk and I was like, and I said, oh yeah, um, I think, um, I said to my brother, well, I just said to him, why don't you just do this, this all of us program, see where you are. Um, and so he signed up. I'm like, I was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm surprised you actually signed up for it. Um, <laughs> but he, I, I got my brother to sign up. Um, he, you know, mm -hmm. unfortunately the barriers is that still the barrier is that the location of the sites it's mm -hmm. not it's not everywhere oh. um no it's not the reason why it was easier in new york is because the hub there was four no there's hubs they have mm -hmm. different site hubs mm -hmm. that could collect the samples so if you lived in new york it's it's easier to you but if you live in new jersey connecticut you would have to go to new york to go mm -hmm. to the nearest um hospital that has the all of us program and meet with the navigator uh so that was one of the things that that i think still is a big issue in recruitment is that accessibility to uh an all of us program uh hub for to give your dna uh your samples and making sure that you're connected to a navigator those were great stories that you just mentioned ellen but what are your hopes for all of us program? Um, my hopes is to have more uh, Filipino representations in the data. Um, you know, we're still not up to par where we want to be. Uh, it's very important that we are counted. Our, our DNA is different. Our environmental upbringing is different as you knew in the beginning, I was born in the Philippines, I grew up here, but you know, different environments in different latitude, la longitude would shape our, the way we are um, made. Um, and so the other thing that I hope for is that the impact of what the researchers are doing is shared. Um, we shared our part of ourselves um, in, an anonymous way, but I, I'm getting it back in a sense of um, certain predispositions out there, but I think it needs to be um, shared bigger in what yeah. impacts we have um, in, in the data that we've collected. Wow, Ellen. Well, you know, I, I'd love to have more of your stories and we certainly <laughs> enjoyed right. it in this uh, short time that we had. Um, but that is all that we have for this episode. And I want to thank you, Ellen Arigogat, our guest tonight. And of course, my co-host, Mindy Ofiana, our director and producer, Rodney Cahudo, Carol Robles, PNAA Chair for Communications and Marketing, our advisor, PNAA Foundation President, Nancy Hoff, and our executive producers, 
PNA President Dr. Mary Joy Garcia Dia and PNA Executive Director Carmina Bautista. Join us every Wednesday here on Rise Up and up till then, keep on rising. See you next week. This program is made possible through the NIH All of Us Research Program. PNAAF is a national collaborator of the Asian Engagement and Recruitment Corps launched by the Asian Health Coalition, which is a national community engagement partner for the NIH All of Us Research Program.